The title of the message this morning is Grace Cleans Up Messy Hearts. And I don't know about you, but I know myself, I have a messy heart. It gets easily messy with all sorts of uh, wrong attitudes and uh, judgments and and uh, it needs to be cleaned. And we read Psalm 51, which probably for all of us in the Old Testament is one of uh, the most treasured Psalm of David. Uh, against you only have I sinned, creating me a clean heart and renewing me a right spirit. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is David's plea to God because he believed even back then before Jesus came that God could purify his heart, could make his heart clean. And, and when the heart is clean, what does the Bible tell us? Love flows out of a clean heart. And that's the purpose of Jesus coming. He wants every one of our hearts to be overflowing with the love of God, to be pouring out the love that God has for us, but coming out of us to others. Do you know, we're so often changed uh, in our lives by what we would describe as chance meetings or uh, sudden... uh, Unexpected moments. We can be listening to a song perhaps and the song is new to us and suddenly it speaks to our hearts and it captures us and it changes our countenance. It, it affects us. We can meet someone in the street that we've never met and start a conversation and they share something with us that's extraordinarily appropriate just for us. It's like God is ministering to us in these what we would describe as chance moments but they're actually all providentially provided by our loving Heavenly Father. Well, last week I was preparing this message and I, I love to listen to Haines City Gospel Radio from Florida in the U- US, this Baptist church, and they have lots of music. Most of it is bluegrass uh, gospel music. And I heard this song, which I'm going to read, not sing to you. It was early in the morning and a stillness filled the garden where he lay. Then the ground shook with power as the angel came and rolled the stone away. All the glory of the living God broke through to the darkness of the tomb and the love of the Father came and filled every corner of the room. Love was in the room, and new life was born where only death had been. Love was in the room, and death and hell would never reign again. When the glory of the living God broke through to the darkness of the tomb, the earth was filled with his beauty, and love was in the room. I was trapped in sin and weakness, sinking ever deeper day by day. Then the blessed Holy Spirit came to touch my heart and roll the stone away. All the glory of the living God broke through to the darkness of the tomb 
and the love of the Father came and filled every corner of my room. Love was in the room and new life was born where only death had been. Love was in the room and now death and hell would never reign again. When the glory of the living God broke through to the darkness of the tomb, the earth was filled with his beauty and love was in the room. Well, I was listening to this song being sung by uh, some American bluegrass singers and I thought, Lord, that's exactly what I want to say on Sunday. You see, the passage that we just had read to us from Ephesians is Paul writing to his Christian friends, not just in Ephesus actually, because it's commonly understood that this letter is for all the churches. It has the title Ephesians, but actually it doesn't address any individuals, which is unusual in Paul's letters. It's a a general letter written to all Christians. And if you read it carefully, you'll see it covers virtually every area of Christian life. But interestingly here in uh, chapter 2, Paul highlights what the gospel, the good news of Jesus is all about. And he's reminding these Christians uh, of their, their salvation. He starts off by saying this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul tells these people, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. Yes, dead. (laughs) Dead to the life that God had intended you to have in the beginning. Completely dead. Dead to the intimacy of fellowship with God. Dead to the riches of his love dead to the joy that he brings, dead to the peace that passes all understanding. So many people today are walking around in bodies of flesh. Their bodies are still alive. Their minds are still working. Their hearts still pump blood through the body. All the vital mechanics are working. But the Bible reveals to us that in fact, in this state, we are actually dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. You know, fear easily grips the mind. Anxiety controls behavior. Lusts motivate actions. Eating, drinking, sexual desires. False judgments rule thinking about ourselves, about others. All these activities of the mind and body cause death to reign in us. Death to love, death to real joy, death to peace, death to patience, 
death to kindness, death to goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. When we are influenced by these trespasses and sins, we are dead to God. Dead to all that he intended us to experience. We were originally created to be like Jesus Christ in every way. Living in unbroken fellowship with God, with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, James Montgomery Boyce, who's an American preacher, he, he says this, John Gerstner compared Paul's description of our sinful state to what horror stories call a zombie. A zombie is a person who has died, but who's still up on his feet walking around. It is a gruesome concept, which is why it appears in horror stories, but it gets worse. The upright walking human corpse is putrefying. It is rotting away, which is probably the most disgusting thing most people can imagine. But this is a fair description of what Paul is saying about human nature in its lost condition. Apart from Jesus Christ, these sinning human corpses are the living dead. You are dead. And when you are dead, you can do nothing. You can do absolutely nothing. Paul tells his Ephesian readers that they were all in this condition. It is actually the universal state of mankind without the saving work of Jesus Christ. We are actually following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, without fully realising that this is our condition. Satan took captive mankind when he led the first woman and man into sin. Paul explains what this sin looks like when he says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Disobedience. Refusing to accept the authority of God. Doing our own thing. If you are doing your own thing, you are actually dead in trespasses and sins. A dark spiritual power has deceived you into thinking that this is where life is found. Actually, it is where death is found. This dark spiritual power, of course, does not appear dark at all. As the Bible reveals to us, this dark spiritual power disguises himself as an angel of light. Paul is telling his readers that this state is one where men and women are motivated and controlled by the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. It can feel like we are living. We're able to experience feelings of pleasure undertake activities that satisfy our bodies and our minds. We can even enter into activities that are enabled by supernatural power and achieve seemingly great outcomes. Remember, Jesus said that many will come and say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Seems like they were full of life. And then... 
I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. These are dead works. There are live works and there are dead works. Any work not initiated by God is a dead work. Not connected to him. Part of the system of this world, empowered by Satan, engaged by the sons of disobedience. When we end our days on earth, Jesus has told us what will actually be important. He says this, Well done, good and faithful servant. If you hear that, you've been alive. If you hear that spoken to you, you have been alive. Enter into the joy of your master. You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Faithful over a little. I think my wife is constantly telling me and my friends are constantly telling me, Michael, you're doing too much. They're probably right. And I've been searching my heart. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? So often we're trying to do more than God has assigned to us. And we actually end up neglecting those things God has actually appointed for us to do. In the face of this great need of being dead in trespasses and sins, unable to do anything about it, if you're dead you can't do anything, Paul gives us God's great provision for this need. If you're in this state, there is an answer We're here this morning to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus. There is a provision God makes for this need. Paul is almost bursting with excitement. (laughs) Awareness of God's grace to him. He's rescued Paul from his own sin and deathly condition. He knows that it has all come from God. And so he makes an emphatic declaration. In verse 4 he says, but God, when dead in sin, God takes the action, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. This beautiful two words in the Bible, but God. You want to remember those words? You want to remember those words when you're down and when you're feeling overwhelmed by the circumstances of life? You know, Paul, later on, after he was born of the Spirit and he was walking in the Spirit and he was doing the works of God, he says, 
We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of what we suffered when we were in Asia. We were so utterly, unbearably crushed, we despaired of life itself. Not he nearly despaired of life itself. He actually despaired of life itself as a believing person, full of the Holy Spirit. He despaired of life itself. And he tells us, but this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. But God. So when you're really struggling, when you're feeling life is too much for you, when you feel like you just can't do it, you're right, you can't. But God. You see, in contrast to us, Paul introduces God. God who's love. God who's merciful. God who saves. God who redeems what is lost. God who comes to the rescue of us when we're dead in sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, is Paul's ultimate definition of the true living God. This is what Paul believes God is. In fact, he makes this statement in Romans chapter 5. And this last week, Ian and I delivered a, 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 a fridge and a washing machine to a young man who, who in Canberra came to know Jesus Christ as his saviour and now is training to be a minister of the Presbyterian Church. And it was this verse in Romans 5 verse 8 that captured his heart. But God shows his love for us in in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This young man was contemplating suicide because of his dreadful sinful condition, even though he was putting out a very powerful outward appearance of being good and going to church and doing all the other things, but he knew in his heart he was desperately corrupt. He was dead in his sins. But God. You know, last week I was with someone else and they were struggling with life and the circumstances and believing things about themselves. I said, come with me to the foot of the cross. Take your stand there. Gaze upon the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is calling us to do this morning. Come with me to the foot of my cross. Come and see what I am doing for you. Remember me when you do this. Take your stand and gaze on the Son of God. What do you see? An innocent man full of grace and mercy, asking for blessings on those who are killing him. That's the love God wants to put in our hearts. Not to love our friends. Yes, of course he wants to love our friends, our wives, our husbands, our children. But God created us to love at all times, in all circumstances, and you and I know we can't do it. We are dead in our sins. But here is Jesus ministering his love to a man who is dying right next to him. The man next to him is aware 
of the reasons for his death. He has sinned, he has done wrong, he's receiving the just penalty of his deeds. But Jesus, hanging in agony, is ministering the love of God to this man. He says to him today, you will be with me in paradise. In the presence of God, you're going to be with me in the presence of God today. Well, this is exactly what Paul tells the Ephesians. Without them dying on a cross, because they're already dead in their sins. He says to them, let's read again. If you look carefully here, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Today you're in paradise. Are you in paradise? Are you, are you dwelling in paradise? That's where you actually have been taken. To sit in the counsel of God, to be in his presence, to be gazing on the beauty of, of God. That's what Paul says, uh, sorry, David says in Psalm 27. One thing I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's where you have been taken, you and me. We have been taken by grace from death in sin and lifted up and raised up to sit in heavenly places. But wait a minute, how is this possible? How can, you, how can you dwell in the heavenly places? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And who can stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands. And a pure heart. Now we know, all of us here this morning, know how easily our hearts can be corrupted. (laughs) How our hearts can be tainted. Yes, we're given a new heart. When Jesus comes into our life, he gives us a new heart. A new spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in us. But we know how we can look on a woman and lust after her. We know how we can judge people wrongly. We know how we cannot forgive others. We know how our hearts can be defiled by the corruptions of this world. We know this. How can we then sit in the presence of God and gaze upon his beauty? Grace cleans up messy hearts. Grace provides the means for you to be cleansed of your sin, to be washed clean, purified, to sit in the very presence of the Father. You know, our dear friend Neville, last year, told us the story of how the Holy Spirit touched his heart and showed an attitude that was wrong towards his brother. And as he wept for three hours, weeping over the reality of this, God cleansed him and then released him to his brother. How did you feel? You seem to be smiling, Mr. Langford. Dwelling in paradise, dwelling in the the presence of the Father, dwelling in that heavenly place, right, Alex? 
You would have felt the same thing there. You were dwelling in the presence of God. Grace cleans up messy hearts. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus met Mary at the tomb? He'd just risen from the dead and Mary is there and he hears, she hears his voice say, Mary. And suddenly she sees it's Jesus and she wants to touch him and he says, don't touch me. I have not ascended to my father and your father. To my God and your God. Jesus had done on the cross, which we are going to remember today, all that is necessary for you and me to have a new father. A perfect father who loves us absolutely perfectly who wants us to dwell in his presence and sit at his feet and listen to him and and receive from him instructions as to what he has purposed us to do with the life he gave us. That is the purpose Jesus died on the cross, to bring us to the Father. Sadly, for all of us, we allow sin to rob us of this. We allow our hearts to be defiled and corrupted and we don't deal with them. We presume to dwell in the presence of God. But God, but God, and God this morning is waiting. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. God is just waiting to take you and me into the presence, into his own presence. That's where we belong. That's where we are actually rightfully seated. God has acted to save us, to remove our sin, to give us a new heart, to provide the means for this heart to be kept clean and free from sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is able to cleanse us from all sin. All sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By grace you've been saved. It's God's provision for you and me. So the outcome of our faith, of believing these things, is that we are able to dwell in God's presence. And then Paul goes on to say, so that in the coming ages... God himself might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, how is God going to show that to the world in which we live? How is God going to demonstrate the riches of his grace? Well, there is a demonstration in the coming ages of what God has accomplished in his son. Jesus came to bring dead people out of their graves and bring them into new life to accomplish eternal purposes. You were created for eternal purposes. Every one of us who has been saved by Jesus 
has been restored to God so that we in our lives may accomplish eternal purposes. The works that we do are to be eternal works, not dead works. Do you remember the story? I love the story of Eric Little who, who uh, was a runner and who chose after his heat for the 100 metres in the Olympic Games was to be run on, on a Sunday, not to participate in that event. And the story was recreated in the film Chariots of Fire. Well, that bit of information, that truth, lay in the annals of the Olympic Games in some, uh, uh, some storage place. And this director of a movie discovers it. Oh, what a story! Because it was an eternal work. You can never rub it out. It will last forever and ever and ever. Whatever we do truly under God is eternal. And this is why Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says to them, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has done, uh, built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. The works that survive are works that have been initiated by God. Works that we receive from God to do. You'll see at the end of the passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you walking In the plans of God. Are you receiving from God? I remember when I studied at college, we looked at employment and work in in relation to the gospel. And during my lifetime, the shift that has taken place in our society is extraordinary. There used to be a thing called vocation, a calling in life. That was, you went to vocational guidance. Now you go to career guidance. Because career guidance is based on your choice, not God's. This is a complete shift in the thinking that lies at the foundation. And the works that are our works are dead works. And they will be consumed by fire. If anyone's work is burned up, says Paul, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. That doesn't mean you're not saved. You can still be saved by trusting in Jesus Christ, but you can be undertaking your own works, not God's works. Do you not know, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. That encounter you had, Neville Langford, with God is an eternal work of God in your life. It will be spoken of by your grandchildren. 
Paul says, let no one deceive himself. Here in this beautiful passage, Paul is reminding us that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We can do nothing of ourselves. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God wants us to dwell in his presence continually and receive guidance and instruction from him alone. By grace, you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that anyone should boast. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness. Do you know what meekness is? Meekness is surrender. Meekness is complete submission. No agenda of my own. Only God's. Never doing my own thing. Seeking the will of God to know what he wants me to do. No longer independent, but totally dependent on God. And this passage here in Ephesians chapter 2 is to remind the Ephesians, you were dead. And if you try to live out your life in your own strength, you are dead. The works are dead. But if you surrender to Jesus, if you accept his grace and mercy, if you understand that he has now taken you up and seated you in the heavenly places, that you are dwelling in God's presence and you can hear him and be guided by him and be led by his spirit. That is the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Well, this morning, have you realized that you are in fact dead? Dead to the things God is wanting to accomplish through you. That you're not living in fellowship with him in the heavenly places. That you need to come to Jesus Christ and receive salvation. Maybe you've never really been born again and entered into this relationship with God. Well, Jesus is waiting this morning. He says, come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Resting from your own labors and yielding yourself entirely to him. Be cleansed from your independence, your pride, your lusts, your fleshly life. Jesus is waiting today to accomplish this work in you. But perhaps you've already been born again. Perhaps you are like Paul was writing to the first, in 1 Corinthians. But you're still pursuing your own agenda. Your works are not being initiated by God. 
You're not spending time with him alone or in the company of others to abide in the heavenly places in order to receive instruction from him as to the works that he has prepared for you. Well, today, God is calling each one of us afresh to come to the foot of the cross and understand what Jesus Christ has truly done for us. Confess our sins, our independence, our pride. If you come humbly to Jesus today, his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. Because in weakness, we are no longer relying on our own strength, but rather depending wholly on God. King David would encourage every one of us today to pray the prayer he prayed at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. If you pray this prayer truly, grace cleans messy hearts. Let's pray.